On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. When Camille DeAngelis decided to write a new novel in 2015, she was surprised when it was a horror novel that poured out of her. She was newly vegan at the time and realized quickly that this novel was steeped in her personal disgust at the way we treated animals, but also, quote, on an intellectual level, this novel is about self-loathing. She would go on to say of her novel Bones and All, it's my teen cannibal road trip novel. I conceived it as sort of an inverted fairy tale with a sympathetic girl, monster protagonist, end quote. Imagine then when in 2021, while standing in line at a Whole Foods, she found out her book was being turned into a movie with David Kashkinik writing the screenplay. A screenplay she enjoyed so much that she would go on to say, I wish I could go back in time and novelize the same script and put Dave's name on the book along with mine. Dave would then reach out to his frequent collaborator, Luca Guadagnino, who was in between projects at the time, and tell him, please read the script. After he did, Luca signed on to the project as director, and the Bones and All film adaptation was officially born. Premiering to acclaim at the 79th Finnish International Film Festival in 2022, the film starring Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet will allow Luca to win the Silver Lion for Best Director. Now streaming on Amazon Prime, Join us now as we discuss bones and all. So, beware what you really may be smelling. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Hello, this is Katie. Hi there, I'm Brittany. I'm so sorry, uh, right as I was saying, my second part. (laughs) puppies decided they wanted to play fight and so like i was like pushing them away with one hand and reading like holding my phone with the second hand it's the monsters in the background it is they're growling it's the feeders uh yeah they're hungry the eaters yeah yeah what have you have you been though katie I'm okay. I had kind of like a weird labor day weekend it was nice to have a three-day weekend but like I got really tired and, yeah, ended up, like, napping through. I was going to go see a show and then ended up falling asleep and waking up when the show was supposed to start. But then I couldn't text the people who (laughs) wanted to know if I wanted to go until after the show was over (laughs) because I didn't want their phone to go off in the middle of the show. So I just ended up napping a lot. But I will say I finally made, for those who are foodies, Scott and I made roasted tomato soup Mm. i still have some and grilled cheese sandwiches and Mm. if you have never made homemade tomato soup and you like tomato soup i hate raw tomatoes but i love roasted tomatoes and cooked tomatoes it is like the best soup ever especially but you have to have like a grilled cheese to dip it in it is so good i had some of it for dinner tonight so good mm. oh my god Ugh. Mm, that does sound really amazing good. i love tomato soup and i love grilled it's cheese fall, kind of 
Yeah, it's like... It's fall, kind of. I think we are going to finally be, like, below, like, 89 starting, like, this Thursday. Taylor was looking at the weather, and he's like, yeah, we're going to be down to 89, and all next week, the high is going to be, I like, 85. I'm so sick of the heat. Yeah, it is a soft thing. I planned to do, like, some fall decorating, and that didn't really happen because it was too hot to get up in the attic and move everything down, so... I settled for making soup. There you go. It's the small victories. It yes. Is. We are going to try to get out some harvest decorations and stuff. And then I ended up giving all four dogs a bath. And I was like, yeah, that's uh, that's my... That's, I, Ooh, that's I, exhausting. I was like, we did what we needed to do today. So... <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But this movie doesn't take place nowadays. It takes place in the 80s. 88, I think, to Thank be God. precise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's actually Reagan oh, era. Yeah. Reagan era America. So, so I did get the book on tape because I was curious what the differences were. Amanda the Jedi, who is a really fun YouTuber, did a review of this movie, which I didn't watch until after I had written my notes. And then I watched, and she was, like, mentioning some differences between the book and the movie. So I ended up reading the book partially. I kind of I listened to the first two chapters and the last two chapters because I did it this morning because I was just curious. I was like, because I knew the biggest differences were the beginning and the ending. Yeah. And it's weird because in the book, it takes place when Titanic is still in theaters. Oh, wow. Okay. So it takes place in the late 90s. And the parents' roles are switched. I did hear about that. I did hear about the parents' roles being switched. But basically, like, they have the same, very similar roles. And the character of Sully is uh, linked to Marin in a different way. But we can get into that when we get to spoilers. But, uh, and the endings, it's different yet the same. Uh, like, the same thing basically happens at the end. But it's in a very different way, and the relationship between Marin and Lee are very different. But it, I, the book is a really good read. It's well-written, and it's not, like, overly flowery language. Like, it's it's one of the better-written YA novels, which I do think this movie is a really great adaptation of, like, a YA novel, because uh, we've had some real shit YA novel adaptations, whether it's, like, The Vampire Diaries or Twilight, or, like, I'm trying to think, like, there's Pretty Little Liars, which is, they're all fun, but they're not very, like, introspective, Yeah, you know? And this movie is, and so I was impressed on that front. I actually, I got a lot of my information about Camille from, uh, she was a guest on a podcast called Our Hen House. So, Our Hen House, episode oh. 676, and their little slogan is, like, changing the world for animals. So, they're, like, a specialty, like, vegan animal podcast. But Camille, and I thought this was really cute. So, she also has a YouTube channel called No Bones At All. Ah! Uh, which, oh, that's cute. Yeah, and it covers her vegan lifestyle, cooking, travel, and vlog. So, I was like, that's really cute. And she said it was kind of, like, hard for her to, like, talk about this novel because she's, like, you know, it, it's a... She's, like, this movie adaptation just came out this year by wrote in 2015, which is, like, seven years ago. She's, like, I am very, very pleased with the adaptation of it. So she did say that a few times. Um, so a lot of interesting stuff. But, yeah, this is her only hard novel. Like, a lot of her novels, like, fall into, like, the travel. So she has travel books, Moon Dublin, Moon Island, and... Um, but a lot of her books are more, like, sci-fi I guess, than horror. So I thought that was really oh, interesting that okay. this is, like, her only horror novel. And she was just like, yeah, it just kind of came out of me out of nowhere. So, yeah, 
That was pretty cool. It is just like for it to be picked up uh, by David and Luca, you're just like, whoa. Like, you know, because especially fresh off of, uh, they're coming fresh off of Call Me By Your Name, which I can't remember if you've seen it, Katie, but yeah. I mean, I, I haven't. But, you know, I need to watch it because I like Luca Guadagino. I, yeah. I love, love Suspiria, which both of these people, the writer and the director, both uh, wrote and directed Suspiria or were. I can't remember if there are multiple writers for Suspiria, but definitely he was one of the writers for sure. The remake, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jessica Harper is featured in this movie, who was also featured in Suspiria. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was like, oh, when this movie was announced, I was like, oh, I gotta go see that. And then it just kind of like, I feel like it came and went really quickly in theaters. And like, when I went to go look up theater times, it was gone. And I was like, well, okay. So it just really came on streaming platforms, at least for me, recently. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting because it literally premiered one year ago exactly on September 2nd, and we're recording on September 5th. Hey. So, yeah, so we literally watched it, like, Pretty right close. at this one-year premiere. But, yeah. yeah. Call Me By Your Name is definitely one of those movies, if anyone sees it, it's so beautiful. Like, it's one of those movies you just kind of want to live in. It's just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. I love the soundtrack, too. I... I don't know. You have to like kind of watch it. I'd like to hear your opinion on it, Katie. I, I do like it. I, I think it's just such a specific type of movie I hadn't really seen before. And I'll just leave it at that. Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, it is, it's, it's a good one. It is a good one. And obviously it was a critical darling because it was that movie that was nominated for every kind of award imaginable pretty much. And Yes. And it did win Best Adapted Screenplay. I think you're right, yeah. And so, yeah, I think also Luca also has the talent for, like, looking into novels and, like, kind of fleshing out the best aspect of these yeah. books, too. He's a good adapter and he is very respectful of adaptations while bringing a new light to it and i think that he and david which i think is why they make such a great team yeah i agree i agree and i didn't realize until i was doing research so uh david was actually producer slash showrunner for the tv series of terror which me and you have talked before about on the podcast so yeah i thought that was really cool because i mean people are saying like the terror didn't really like get a lot of views but they're like if you watch that show it's one of the best like written and like produced shows in like the last decade probably he also wrote a bigger splash which was a earlier luca guadagino movie and I, I mean they're just constant collaborators and i think we've already talked about luca guadagino in our suspiria episode is a big episode i think it was our hunt was it our hundredth or was it our like 50th it was one of the two because we did both movies didn't we yeah because we just kind of compare and contrast yeah and, but yeah, uh, you know, Call Me By Your Name, A Bigger Splash, Suspiria. And then I haven't watched this one, but I always hear about it. I Am Love. Yeah. And also an older one. The creator, he also did the TV series We Are Who We Are. And he so he wrote and directed like pretty yes. much all the episodes of it. Yeah. And I haven't seen it, but I've heard things about it. I haven't either, but it's it's been on my radar. Yeah. And Chloe Sevigny, or Sav- I, that's how I say her last name. I don't know if it's correct. Uh, I also don't know if Kej... Cash gone it. However, I said it in the in the intro. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. So please forgive me, David. But yeah, we've got some interesting collaborations. We also have Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross yeah. doing the music, which the music in this movie is gorgeous. I do absolutely gorgeous. I love Trent Reznor as a composer. I'll come back again and again to the soundtrack for Gone Girl and The Social Network are just like oh, so oh, good. Yeah. yeah, so good. Oh, yeah. Mm. It is like really 
It is really fucking trippy as shit. Did he do? I'm looking up Suspiria because I can't remember if he did it or if it wasn't him. It oh was God, no! Else. It was another. It was another. Um, it was musician. Tom York. Yeah, it was Tom, Tom York. York. Yeah, it was Tom York. So basically, he just gets people from '90s rock bands that uh, were in our childhood and lets them compose music. I loved. I love Tom York's soundtrack for Suspiria too, but this one was beautiful. Trent Reznor. I I was talking to Scott about this, and Scott is a big like metal head. And, like, a lot of, like, metal and scream music, which I know is hilarious because I've said, like, not my bag. But there's some that I like. But he also likes, like, emo music and, like, you know, that kind of stuff. New new emo, new punk kind of stuff. Uh, it sounds like it came out when we were in high school, but it's actually new. But we were talking about it and I was like, yeah, Trent Reznor is, like, a really big composer now. And he's like, that is the weirdest, like, career shift. And I was like... Well, you know, he has five kids. He's been married to the same person for years. That's really hard to maintain when you're touring. And composing, you can honestly usually do it from your house. And a lot of people like composing. And he's still producing music with Nine Inch Nails. They just let out some albums in 2020. They still are doing stuff. I don't see, like... But I think it's just a different kind of composition yeah i don't see i don't know i don't see film composition being too far off from being a musician i think it's like actually a natural step probably for a lot of musicians especially as they get older they're like i don't really want to like be living on the road in a tour bus like nine months out of the year let me go ahead exactly exactly and he has a real ear for it too like i mean i can tell you so many movie scenes i've seen where i can still hear the music he composed because it's just like yeah in your head like i'll always come back to well, in the halls of the mountain king that he did like the electronic version for the social network i always i always associate in the halls of the mountain king now with m like the movie m and then the social network because of Trent Reznor. So <laughs> I mean he's a really good composer mm-hmm. also atticus ross too yeah also fantastic um, do they always work together? I, d- I don't think it's like every single time, but I think they do go hand in hand on a few different projects. But he he shows up a lot. Trent Reznor still looks like he could throw on a Nine Inch Nails t-shirt. Yeah. And just go out. Like, <laughs> you see a picture of his face, it's like, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, they also work a lot with Fincher, which Fincher has a great ear for music, too. David Fincher? David Fincher, Yeah. yeah. And then also, I thought this was funny, the cinematographer Arseny, I'm going to butcher your last name and I'm so sorry, Kachaturan, Kachaturan, I'm so sorry, because you are a really good cinematographer. They do a lot of music videos, but they did the cinematography for The Idol, the TV show that I watched that was terrible. That got canceled after one season. But it looked beautiful. Yes, it should have been. It was supposed to be a miniseries anyways. Yeah. But... It was, it visually was, I think the one good thing everyone said about it, and I agreed with, was uh, it looks really well done. Much like this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. This movie is beautiful. There is no, like, denying that at all. It is really pretty. I Yeah, I like it, though. I do think, I think I agree with the author how, like, this adaptation almost, like, closes up the storyline better. And kind of wrap some things up a little bit better than the book did. But the book is still... I would still say the book is worth a read if you liked... If you liked this and you generally like... Like... 
romance novels. It's not even, honestly, the novel, there's not as much romance in it. Yeah. It's YA, but honestly, also there's a big age difference. Lee is 19 and Marin is 16. And they don't have a romantic relationship, like a, a physical relationship. Like there's feelings, but nothing's ever acted upon. And I, like I said, I skimmed the book, so I don't, I only know how it ends. Yeah. But in the end, yeah. So it's it's different. This one definitely took liberties about their relationship, but it's very romantic, and you get to see Timothée Chalamet. I do like literally what Lucas said about this. So I was reading this interview with him, and it is in Vanity Fair. He said, I think the audience has the right to say the last word about the film, but if it's up to me, it's a love story. So in other words, he was like, a lot of people are going to read this as a, as a, like a horror movie. And he's like, if people want to think of it as a horror movie or being perceived as a horror movie, that's okay. But I think of it as a love story. That's how I will view this movie. And this was a really, yeah. this was a really interesting thing he said too. So he like was very much, he had some Carpenter influence, like John Carpenter influence, but he's also really inspired by, uh, George A. Romero, and he said all the anxieties are <laughs> the revenge of the right in America come across for the beautiful films of Romero. And he's like, you could really see in these movies not only a compelling, thrilling ride, but also essay on America. And there's a lot kind of, I like, I love movies that have like really rich subtext and like reading in between the lines. And spoiler alert, as we talk about the cannibalism in this movie, it's like the cannibalism is like, it's a metaphor, or could it be a metaphor for addiction or queerness? Either or could work when you're looking at this movie. And when you kind of go yeah. into it like that, it like it makes the characters feel so much more in debt, like looking at them. So yeah, that was really enjoyable. Yeah. And then the book, it's more of a, like the cannibalism is about the meat industry mm -hmm. in America and how badly people who, well, especially the author, had self-loathing for when she ate meat and a lot of people do i don't really like the way animals are treated but i also have not figured out a way to not eat animal products so i just try to go as uh animal friendly as i can but you know i see a lot of the addiction and the you know and queerness because there's like a part where like basically this isn't a spoiler yet in the beginning it's in the commercial it's in the trailer but like she gets basically outed at a sleepover with her friends and you know a lot of people have said that is kind of like when you get you know outed as a queer person but also the fact that they set the film in like reagan era 80s yeah where there's also not only a war on queerness where people were trying to like have gay teachers removed from schools well, like now um, but also, like, there was the war on drugs where people were being criminalized for things that maybe shouldn't be criminalized. And so it is also the addiction aspect. Because there's one, you know, because there's Marin and Lee don't choose this life. They do it because they they have a an addiction to it. A, but they were born with that addiction and they can't help themselves and addiction is something a lot of people are born with the propensity to have it yeah you know and you don't really know until you Ooh. try or even like generational like trauma too and what parents pass down to yes. their children like intentionally or unintentionally an abandonment yeah and there's a lot of good themes 
to talk about. But there's one point where Lee kind of tells Marin the bad stuff in his past, and he asks her if he's a bad person, and she doesn't answer and just says, I love you. That's all I care about. Which is something, like, I think a lot of people who are supporting someone going through addiction recovery, it's not about the, the things you did in the past. It's about loving yourself and getting better for the future. Even though you have to acknowledge the things you did in the past, the fact that you've acknowledged them is like a, a big step towards that. And I thought that was a really nice little moment. That's not too much spoilery. Yeah. Because, um, again, they just blasted all over the trailer that it's a love story. Do we have anything else we want to go over before we get into spoilers? Uh, not really. I think that covers a lot of it, basically. And there may be some other things that I say that I've read in interviews and stuff that come out as, like, as we go along. But pretty much I think that gives a good gist as we go into the movie. Yeah, I think so. But this movie's hard to recommend because even though it's beautiful and romantic and all that, there is, spoiler alert, flesh-eating. <laughs> And they don't shy away from the gore, but it's not so disgusting that you hate the main characters. There is an empathy and a moral struggle that they all have. They all have their own set of rules. Lee is very much like Dexter, where he tries to only feed on people that are, in his point of view, bad. And Marin has a kind of a hard time. She tries not to eat too but it is kind of gory so if you have a weak stomach just tread carefully but the rest of the movie is so lovely and sweet that it's kind of, it's it is a very weird uh blend of uh genres and content but it's really well done and it doesn't feel unbalanced i i would say it's about on par with raw for the cannibalism. I think there might be more cannibalism in this movie than Raw. I think you're right. I felt for some reason like this was... I don't know why. I don't know if it's because this movie's fresher in my head or not. But it feels like this one was more harder for me to watch at some points, if I'm being honest. The last sequence of cannibalism really got me. Yeah. But it was more of an emotional thing. But also, like, it was very, like, animalistic. Whereas, like, Raw, the only one that really got me... Spoilers for Raw if you haven't watched it at this point, but if you listen to this podcast, you probably have. The chicken and the finger got me with yeah. Raw. Everything else I kind of like didn't, but the I remember watching the finger scene and the first time I watched it and I honestly did get like sick to my stomach and I was like eating something and I like had just kind of, I was like, I don't really usually get nauseous watching movies, but that is fucking disgusting. But like in a good way. Yeah. And this movie was kind of like the two, I was like, I luckily was not eating, but I was watching and I was like, hmm, wow, that's, that's, that's what's happening. Okay, so just tread carefully on the gore, but I think that's the worst of it, because everything else, there's some creepy stuff and there is some sexual content, but it's pretty tastefully done. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah, there's, somebody is jacking someone else off. But you don't really see much. No, you don't really see it at all. You see, like, the back of somebody. So you see, like, buttocks, but, like, nothing too crazy. Yeah. yeah. Somebody had it blurred out, and then I guess it was the booty part. Because I was like, I was like, I don't remember seeing dicks. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, but, okay. Yeah. It was on YouTube. 
So I was like, oh, yeah, YouTube is very strict about that stuff. So, okay. It is like, it is, it does kind of come out of not really left field, but like, it's in a field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> comes true. out of the cornfield. Which, did you know the reason, like, there's just random instances of corn is because Lihu Guadagino is like fascinated by the fact that Americans just love corn? Yes. I did and actually so he just read put that. Corn. Oh, also another trivia. It was filmed in Ohio, principally Cincinnati, the University of Cincinnati, which is where my parents went. Um, that's like the school that they're at. Um, even though they say it's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, it's not. And uh, Chillicothe, which I have not been to, but also like there were a couple of neighborhoods that they filmed in around Cincinnati, like Lebanon. And I was like, oh, I've been there. But I don't remember the specific spots that were listed on IMDb, but uh, the city council of Cincinnati had to give them 50000 more dollars for added security because apparently people were breaking into their filming sites. So, I don't know. It is downtown. The university's downtown, so... But I don't remember which part of... It's been a couple years since I've been there, but I thought that was fun. Even though, like, it's it's all Midwest, they mostly filmed in Ohio and Kentucky. So yeah. It was and his, this- but it's uh, Guadagino's first American filmed movie. Yes, I did read that, too. But yeah, I think that's... I guess we can do the rundown now. And yeah. the spoilers, because... I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, so I... Everything else pretty much would be spoilers. Yeah, I can go ahead and do the rundown I wrote. So uh, here it is, synopsis rundown. When Marin is abandoned by her father when she turns 18, she begins to search for her mother who left when she was a baby. Along the way, she meets two men with a hunger like hers. Sully, an older man with an astonishing sense of smell, and Lee a young drifter who agrees to join her. As romance blossoms between Marin and Lee, we are left to wonder, will love save them, or will their addiction consume them? Bones and all. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Yep. Okay, <laughs> so spoiler, <laughs> the big difference in the book is that they do always eat bones and all. Okay, yeah. And it, she couldn't when she was a baby, when she ate her babysitter, Penny is the name of the babysitter. She couldn't because she was too little, but the first person she remembers eating is the kid at camp, and she did. And that's why they don't get caught because they consume, like, everything. Mm. So, which makes more sense, and they're also a little... It's more like, obviously, it's a little more supernatural because, like, human beings can't consume bones. Yeah. Like, we, our, our digestive system really isn't built for that. I, I thought that was interesting, whereas, like, it's more of a taboo thing in the movie and i was like okay that's interesting and also the age difference is kind of weird and the the lee is like he's 19 she's she's abandoned at 16 which i thought was much worse than 18 and it's kind of the same thing her mom is just like she doesn't have like one inciting incident but it's like her mom's just like i can't do it anymore and she throws her a really great birthday party she takes her out to dinner at this italian restaurant and for her birthday and then like leaves the next day just like the dad does in the movie and sully is her grandfather who likes to eat his family members oh oh and yeah sully yeah. in the movie sully in the movie is very very different and uh in a very unnerving yes. uh, just insane way it kind of reminds me um, i do not like him 
I know he makes you very uncomfortable. Like it's like, but the I mean that's the thing. It's like his acting is incredible. Mark Rylance is just incredible in this role. Yes. He unnerves you. Which it was so weird that I was like, he's in a cannibal love story because Mark Rylance. Uh, the first time I heard of him was when he got nominated for Bridge of Spies, um, which he won Best Supporting Actor for that. I do believe it was Bridge of Spies. Um, he also apparently was in Don't Look Up with Timothy Chalamet, which yeah. I hated that movie, but the performances were good. Dunkirk, the BFG. But I didn't know this. He was the first artistic director of Shakespeare's Globe in London from 1995 until 2005. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? That is pretty cool. And see, I was like, I saw him recently. Well, not recently. It's been a couple of years now. But The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Ready Player One, too. So I was like, okay, yeah. Should we talk about Marin's actor? Yes, we should. So, yes, Taylor Russell. So, and I, even though I love Timothy, it, I kind of get mad when Timothy is billed before uh, Taylor on this movie. I know. Because I'm like. Everywhere. He was a producer, too. But still. But she's the main character. And so, she actually, I've been meaning to watch this movie. So, she played Emily in Waves, which was like a Waves. big breakout for I her. Know. And people, I mean, when that movie wasn't nominated for any Academy Awards, people like lost their damn mind because they're like, this is like one of the yeah, best movies this amazing. year. Yeah. She also was in the Escape Room movies. Yeah. And the TV series Lost in Space, um, the 2018-2021 Lost in Space. And she also uh, directed mm. a short called The Heart Still Hums. So, she's a writer and director, too. But this movie is great, and she does a really good job. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially, like, the scene with Sully when he, like, finds her on the van, and she's just trying to, like, stand up for herself and be like, I feel uncomfortable with this. You're making me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I guess we'll, like... And, like, finding her own voice. Yeah. And that's the thing that, like... uh, So I do love that Luca throughout... Like, if you read any interview with Luca, he's always, like, just talking nonstop about how great his cast and crew is. Like, he has nothing but the best things to Mm -hmm. say about his people. Which is probably why people really enjoy working with him and come back to working with him. Yeah. But that's what he said about uh, Taylor. He's like, she has this great... Like, she, he's, like, he actually said, yeah, when I was, like, in, I think he said, Italy, they were showing me this glass that looked very delicate, but he's, like, when you slammed it against the table, it didn't break. And he's, like, and that's how Taylor is. Like, she has, like, this great fragility on the outside, but she's very strong on the inside. And, you know, that comes across when she's playing the character. And I'm, like, yeah, I can see that. Because it's, like, she does seem very fragile in this robe, but there's, like, this very, like, calm, like, deep water running beneath her right and i think she's very even though the haircut i know a lot of people talk stuff about the haircut and the bangs uh uh, oh it it was inspired by something oh silence of the lambs the character in silence of the lambs right yes yeah which i'm like i cannot i just watched silence of the lambs the other week and i'm like i honestly cannot remember what character it is but the bangs are questionable i guess yeah but but it's it's fine she's still like captivating to watch in this movie like you really can't take your eyes off her she has like these big gorgeous brown eyes but yeah we open up the movie and she's like seems likable like she has like she's quiet but she's at school she has classmates she gets invited to do things but very quickly we realize Mm -hmm. something's off because like dad is like 
caring. He's like, hey, let me teach you how to drive. You need to try to drive. But it's like they live in a very sparse trailer and he locks her in the room at night. She sneaks out. Mm-hmm. And then when she's hanging out with her little friend, it's like, and Taylor even said at this point, he goes, is she gay? Because you see that sense of longing, right? And that's why you're like, oh, okay, this is where yeah. the... the, ca- well, the yeah. I think the other girl, it seems like she is flirting with her a yeah, little bit. Right? But they're also teenagers and they're exploring. I definitely think both she and Lee have bisexual tendencies. Yeah, sexually fluid. For sure. Which yeah. is, yes. Which is, I think it's great not to have to define it, and they don't really define it. Although, Lee does have a tattoo that says Adam and Eve and Steve on his arm. That is pretty which cool. Which I find. That's pretty much like, I am bisexual. Here is here is my tattoo. But but I like that they don't like have to like talk about it, because like, it can be implied, and, you know, a lot of people are on a spectrum when it comes to their sexuality. But, yeah, she does seem like she has a longing, kind of like Raw, but a little less overt with the sexual stuff. Yeah, and that's this is the first thing. So we I knew going in that this was a movie about, like, cannibals, but she sucks on this girl's finger, and then she just, like, bites it, and they try to rip her away, and when they yeah. finally take the finger out of the mouth, it's, like, mangled, right? You're just like, holy fuck. Like, yeah. it's, like, gruesome. It's it's brutal. Oh. It's brutal. And then she gets home, and the dad's like, oh, you did it again. And by the way, her dad is played by Andre Holland, yes. who, if you have seen American Horror Story Roanoke, he is in that he is the, re- he's, is it Cuba Gooding Jr. plays him in the yes. TV show part, and he's the real person, who's also an actor, but he's also Kevin in Moonlight in yes, the last scene. Yes, I love Moonlight, and that's the thing I really noticed him from, but then yeah. also he was in Passing, because I know that was a big movie for us um, that we talked about. Oh, yeah! Track. Yeah, so... And Selma and the really bad adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time. But they skedaddle. They get the hell out of there. They move to a new place, which is very sparse, rundown. And then you find out that, like, she wakes up and her dad's gone. And he leaves her a cassette tape being like, hey, you're 18 now, so I I, I can't do this anymore. And you're just like, holy shit. But yeah. it makes sense. Because it kind of reminds me, you know, and spoilers for Euphoria, but, like, when Rue's mom has that talk with her where she's just like, Kind of like, she doesn't say it like this, but she's basically like, you're a lost cause. I'm putting all my time into Gia. And once you're 18, you're getting the fuck out of my house. And you're just like, okay, fair enough. Because it's like, you're doing your absolute best. And no matter what you do, it's like the kid keeps relapsing, which is like, okay, that's how we get into this metaphor for addiction, right? Yeah. yeah, Very very harsh, but it's also a reality where you, you can't fix someone yeah they have to find the strength to fix whatever's going on in their life and it's also this is also like he views it as more of a choice to her she can't help it yeah she tries to not feed for as long as she possibly can but she cannot not it's not like and it's interesting the in the book the first time when she kills the camp kid which he mentions in the cassette tape it goes it goes the full it was like a little boy had a crush on her and basically she mostly feeds on men because no girls want to get close to her because she's weird yeah and she she the first like she was like if this if i had been someone different this would have been me meeting the my first love but instead it was my first like meal basically not really but the first one she remembers but basically like she eats him and she feels so guilty that it's her fault that cuz of course like he's missing 
and everyone's like has to go home from camp and she feels so bad about that she like won't eat or drink and her mom has to take her to the hospital and a social worker almost takes her away but then the mom decides no i do want to take care of her and she thinks like oh it was almost i was almost someone else's problem but she and then her mom starts moving them because at first like i guess the babysitter incident happened and then nothing happened until she was eight so like they were good. And, like, when her the mom leaves in the book, it's been six months since anything happened. But I think it's implied the same thing happens with the dad. Like, they move after that incident, but then it's not until her 18th birthday that he leaves. I think it's, like, really heartbreaking, too, because, like, in the cassette tapes, which the dad is talking, Marin's dad's talking about the babysitter, he mentions, like, the babysitter's dead on the bathroom floor, and she's asleep. And he goes and he fishes, like, essentially an ear out of her mouth, and he's like... Yeah. And I realized, like, you know, it's like a hole where earrings should be. And I, in that moment, I thank God there wasn't an earring because I thought you could have swallowed it. So even though, like, his child literally just murdered somebody and ate their flesh, his concern was still relief that there was an earring that his child should have choked on, right? And so that's where, like, even though yeah. his child was capable of doing something so horrible, he still loved his child and wanted to protect his child. And he did so as long as he could. Yeah, and he just can't anymore and i i uh being close to somebody who had an issue and refused to get help for it and i had to leave like i get the frustration sometimes leaving is the best thing you can do to let someone figure things out for themselves doesn't mean you're ever gonna see them again and that sounds terrible when it's your kid but sometimes people i mean if if we're talking about addiction Sometimes people have to hit their rock bottom and it's different for everybody. And if you enable them and he technically is enabling her by covering everything up, even if it's because of your good nature, it's not helping them. And that is a really hard pill to swallow for, I think for that dad too, because it does seem like, I mean, he doesn't want to leave her, but he can't mentally deal with it anymore. And she's not stopping. I think he thinks that she can stop. Yeah. And they talk about it too. They meet these, you know, she meets Lee and we find out that Lee has like kind of a code where he only kill eats people that he deems are like not great people like there's a guy who's drunk in a grocery store when they meet and he is like being belligerent to people and so lee's like i'll take it outside and then she sees him wearing his hat but he has a code and they end up meeting these other people who don't really have a moral code to eating and one of them isn't even like technically an eater but he likes it which is which really freaks Marin out but they talk about how, like, he's, like, that he's got a compass. And they're, like, you're, like, every, like, junkie I've ever met. Like, you think you have everything under control. But then one string loose and everything's going to fall apart. And it's so mean. But I, it is true, I guess. If you're – because I don't know how you beat cannibalism addiction. Yeah. I don't know if there's a 12-step program for that. Um <laughs> But before that, she meets Sully, of course. Oof. But I thought that was interesting with the addiction stuff. And Sully is... F- oh, Okay, first of all, he has, like, the trait that I hate, which is a rat tail. Yeah. He's also, like, a very, like, white-looking man in, like, a hat with a bunch of feathers. And it always just gives me the, he- like, cultural appropriation heebie-jeebies. 
I'm gonna say it. It looks like he's wearing an outfit, which he probably stole it from someone. Now that I, because he has a different outfit when he run, when he runs into them later. Yeah, but like he does look super fucking like. I'm like, who did you steal that from? And Sully's like, oh, I smelled you, which is terrifying. Yeah, but Sully disturbs the shit out of me, and he just gives me the bad vibes. And in the book. He is her grandfather, and her dad's the eater that she inherited from. But I think he was also adopted, so it's his biological dad. And because he couldn't track him down, he wants to eat Marin because he likes to eat his family members. That's like, fuck, too. There's there's something, like, going on there in the subtext, too. Yes. Well, you know, Saturn, is it Saturn's children? Yeah, Kronos, Kronos, Kronos and Saturn, yeah. That, she really gets into, like, art about cannibalism, and that's one of them in the books. And so, like, there's a lot of, that's kind of like a, a throw, like a hint to that kind of thing. She's like, oh, like Saturn eating his children. Yeah. Uh, which is terrifying. Ooh. But in the movie, he's just some creepy dude. Well, that's what... So we, we get her being Sully, and she, like, flees, like... She flees in the night, basically, from Sully, because he fucking freaks her out, and who can blame her? Yeah. And so uh, she meets Lee. They go on this adventure together. They're gonna find her mom. And that's when they eventually, after meeting the other cannibals, and after... So I guess the murder happens before she meets her grandmother. Is that right? Or is the murder have to happen afterwards with the Carney? Which murder? The Carney murder. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's before. But it's a girl Carney, and she was just mean to the little kids. Okay, in the books? So, in the books. Yeah, yeah. I didn't read... I, I skimmed through the middle, so... Oh, by the way, I should have mentioned this. Michael Stuberg, Stuberg, um, who was in The Shape of Water, Call Me By Your Name, Boardwalk Empire, and A Serious Man, is one of the rednecks. Yeah, Jake. And then David Gordon Green, who is responsible for the recent Halloween trio, um, along with Danny McBride, is the other one, Brad, the one who's not really a cannibal, but likes cannibalism. The police officer, yeah. Out. Yes, and he's the unbearable weight of massive talent. I'm a Virgo in Righteous Gemstones is acting, which I don't remember what he is in Righteous Gemstones. I think it's just a bit part, but Danny McBride's in it, so that makes sense. We do get to see David Gordon Green get beat to death in a flashback with a crowbar, because... Oh. Yeah, when Lee... I didn't catch that. I thought it was the dad. No, I didn't catch that to Lair. It's actually, yeah, it is uh, Brad that he beats to death with a crowbar. So if you pause it and look at the scenes, yeah, it's Brad. Because I didn't catch it at first either. Uh-huh. Is that why Jake runs after them? No, no, no. I think it is. I think basically after Lee and Marin, spoiler, uh, Lee and Marin separate for a bit. Yeah. I think that's when it happened. Yeah, I did not catch that. But Sully's really the real problem because Sully... First of all, Sully, like, acts like he has a set of rules. He's like, you don't eat Nader. Also, okay, Mark Rylance is a British man, and he is, like, this really creepy southern drawl. You don't eat Nader. Which is weird, because they're in the Midwest. Yeah. But I guess you have to travel a lot to keep from getting caught, so okay. But he's, you know, he's like, I got those rules. And he's got this braid, and he takes the hair of everyone he eats and braids it together and it's disgusting and then also he takes her to this house and there's an old woman that's like a, like she fell and she's dying and so he acts like everyone 
he eats is like close to death. However, in the book, Marin points out that if he really did that, I feel like a lot more of his hair and his braid would have been gray or white. It's not. So I feel like he is a gaslighter and a manipulative manipulative person who doesn't want to be alone anymore. And so he tries to prey on Marin. Yeah. It's just not good vibes all around y'all. Yeah. And yeah. And the, when they have their second confrontation, that's where it's like, it gets even worse. So um, basically they do, she starts to get hungry. So they're like, Oh, we're going to have this cute little like, vin- like vignette at the fair. And then she's like, they're like kissing on the Ferris wheel. And she's like, Oh, I'm really hungry. So uh, Lee yeah. scouts out a carny. Uh, essentially. And Who has a Mona Lisa, like, or My- Venus de Milo. It's like a, it's like polyester button-up shirt. Yeah. He flirts with him. Lee flirts with him. This is what we're talking about. Like, okay, obviously both characters are sexually fluid. He leads him into a cornfield. Yes. And he's getting him off, like, giving him a hand job. And right as he comes, he slits his throat. So, uh, I yeah. don't know if he thinks of that. Just let him come. I mean, for God's sake. Oh, God. And then, like, the guy's on the ground, like, bleeding out, like, dying. And he's like, okay, hey, we've got somebody to eat. So, Marin comes up and they start feeding off of him. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. They drive. So, they, they have this little thing they do where they drive, like, to people's houses, probably to, like, ramsack for supplies and get cleaned up and everything. Yeah. And then they go by the house, and Marin realizes there is a woman and a child there, which means they killed someone's husband and father, and she feels immensely guilty about that. Also, weirdly, in the book, they don't share meals ever. Oh, okay. I know. I was like, how do you eat that much of a person in such a short sitting, then? Yeah. It's a lot of eating. So it must be supernatural. Yeah. But... Marin gets really freaked out. And rightfully so. And so, like, and basically yeah. Lee's just like, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know. It's, you can't blame yourself. We didn't know. Which he's right. They didn't know. Yeah. Because who, who would have thought that, like, this guy would be looking for, like, sex with a wife and child at home. But, you know, these things do this happen. This was the 80s. Yeah. But it's also, like, I guess it's that fine line of, like, you need to know so much about your victim. But then you don't want to know too much because you care. Because they're not evil people. That's the thing is, like, even though it's really gross, because when they eat, it's, like, it's pretty animalistic. It's just chowing down and stuff. And it's not great. It's pretty gross. But, I mean, like, it it doesn't seem like they're doing it because they want to kill people. And I think she says at some point, I don't want to hurt anybody. And he's like, uh, okay. This is like a food for thought or whatever. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's not really how this works. Well, that's the thing. I think it's like in her head, she really doesn't want to hurt anybody. And then basically the hunger just takes over yeah. her. Like sometimes she just like lasts as long as she can. And then it's just like that primal instinct Which, kicks in. That, I would say that could be a good metaphor for addiction. Because I don't think anybody wants to hurt people. When, but addiction, de- I mean, depending on what you're addicted to, can be very destructive to those around you as well as yourself. And no one ever sets out to, like, hurt anybody. But especially, like, addiction to, like, prescription medicine. Like, it's especially hard because it's like, I didn't ask for this, but now you're chemically dependent on something. Yeah. But especially, like, but, like, alcoholism ruins a lot of lives and families and stuff but i don't think anyone takes their first sip of beer and is like i can't wait to hurt my family like that's not true people don't want to hurt people but 
certain people are predisposed to alcoholism and just addiction in general, and it's not really anything you can help. And you, it's not like there's a maybe one day we'll have like a genetic test to test people out if they're like going to be predisposed to that to help people like kind of navigate that, you know. But right now you don't really know until you try, which sucks. But with her, like, I mean, she's been fucking eating people since she was a baby. Yeah, but speaking of the hereditary, so Marin does eventually get to the home of her maternal grandmother, who doesn't even yes. know about her assistance. And Katie mentioned that Jessica Harper does play Barbara, the maternal yeah. grandma. Love her. She's the original Susie Banyan from Suspiria. Also, she was in The Phantom of the Paradise and Shock Treatment and apparently in Minority Report. It's like, yeah. So she's kind of like a classic yeah. scrim queen. She is a horror, horror goddess. Yeah. And she's basically tells Marin, she's like, yeah, uh, we didn't even know your mom and dad got married for sure. So, you know, this is a surprise. And uh, basically Marin's like, you know, I, you, I, I'll never bother you again after this but what did you cover up for her and Barbara gets kind of like mad and she's like why don't you ask her yourself and the earlier conversation she alluded that her mother was dead but then she's like ask her yeah, yourself she's like she's not with us yeah I don't want to talk about it. So Mama's at the institution in another city. It's Chloe Sevigny. Yeah. And uh, of course, Chloe is, I mean, once you see Chloe's face, you're like, you know exactly who she is. But she was in Big Love. (laughs) She was one of the lead characters in Big Love. She was in Boys Don't Cry, The Dead Don't Die, the TV series Russian Doll, Mm -hmm. the miniseries The Act. And she's also in two different seasons of American Horror Story. But I actually saw kids. And she plays herself in Portlandia. Yes. But I saw kids when I was very young, like when I was a teenager, and that movie scarred the shit out of me. But Mama basically... She just works with him. Yeah, she just... uh, Her arms, she cannibalized her own hands and arms, right? Which you're just like, damn, girl. But uh, she leaves Marin a note that basically is like, it's better for you to be dead than to be a monster. And she proceeds to try to attack Marin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Chloe doesn't say much, except you hear her reading the letter. It's interesting, for sure. Uh, and scary. And then, so Marin kind of has a come apart. She's like, and in the book, and this is the part that I skimmed, but she was writing down the information of everyone she ate, and she was going to turn to the police eventually. But after she sees her in the book, her dad in the in the asylum, which I... I don't think the dad tries to eat her, but he also ate his own hands. So some of it was similar. But she decides not to turn herself in after that. But yeah, she kind of just goes off on her own. And it turns out, after fighting with uh, Lee and kind of like running away from him at a gas station, uh, Sully has been tracking her for like two weeks. And that's fucking terrifying. That's like the scariest thing. And then when she's like, listen, you're freaking me out and I I don't trust you and I might be wrong about that, but I got to trust my own gut. And he like starts calling her a cunt and says all this shitty stuff. I was like, oh, so he's an incel too. Great. And he's just a total, like he shows his colors. Yeah. But he leaves her alone and she goes back to Kentucky to find Lee, who's seeing his little sister, Kayla, who is played by um, Anna Cobb. Who was in that movie, We're All Going to the World's yeah. Fair last year. Yep, and I watched that movie. It's very weird. Yeah. But basically, Kayla tells Marin why, like, 
Lee never talks about their dad. So basically, Lee, and Lee kind of confirms this later, their dad was abusive and an alcoholic. And he, on one particular day, hit Kayla and then hit Lee. And so Lee told Kayla to go get the cops. But when they came back, everyone was missing. And Lee came back covered in blood and they couldn't find the dad. And so they had, until they could test the blood, they had to keep him in a holding cell to make sure he didn't murder his dad. And then it was his blood that he was covered in. But then Lee confirms that, yeah, I ate my dad because he tried, he also was an eater and he discovered that while they were fighting, basically. Yeah. And so he tied, I think he duct taped him up and then ate him. Yeah. And he's like, I ate him the fuck up. Yep. Yeah. And he loves, I mean, he was an abusive asshole, but I think that's one of the reasons Lee thinks it's okay for him to do what he does is because he's like, well, at least I'm only killing bad people. Yeah. You know, theoretically. And that's when he asks, like, Marin, like, am I a bad person? She's like, no. She, She doesn't even say no. She just says, like, you, you try to protect the people you love. And he does love Kayla and he does try to protect her. And, you know, but that's why he doesn't come home a lot is because, like, everyone, like, thinks he's a murderer, which I guess technically he is. But he also is protecting himself and his sisters. Uh, it's a gray area for sure. Again, it's a movie. So I think in real life, he probably should serve some jail time. But or go to an asylum, I think. That, or I don't think an asylum, but like seek some mental health help. I'm curious why no one took any of these children to like a psychiatrist. Like, do you think there are kids in this world that have gone to the psychiatrist and then just they figured it out? Or because none of them ever really try to get help. I think it's one of those things where I studied where there are certain things that are so taboo that not even psychiatrists and trained therapists really want to help people with certain things. Oh, I'm sure someone would. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's that's the thing that like and that's that's a big article I was reading about where. It was a kid had realized very at a young age that he was attracted to children. And so he was like a 16-year-old teenager and no one wanted to help him because no one wanted to even touch, like, somebody who had pedophilia. So I don't know, like, if cannibalism would be treated the same way in this world, but maybe it's one of those things that maybe if the parents had sought help, they were just afraid their children would have just been locked up with no future at all. I don't know. I guess a bit, like... It might, they might have had a future. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm not, I don't have an answer. And it was the 80s. Health, mental health care especially. Yeah. Was not good. So if the only treatment is to lock yourself away like her mom did and really not have any options. Yeah. Then I, like, I can't blame them. But it is really sad. But it is, like, they do have, like, a lovely little, like, interlude on a hill. And I will say, like, they kept the, like, the the sexy stuff between Lee and Marin to a minimum. And I appreciated that because sometimes I feel like some of these, like, young adult romance movies are a little too exploitative of the younger actors but i mean they have like very passionate kisses but then it kind of just fades away in a very artistic way and then like you see them like topless sitting by themselves but you don't really see a lot yeah and i was like that's i was tasteful it's tasteful it was very romantic i didn't need to see them getting it on to understand that they love each other and they're very passionate about each other 
But they're like, let's go be people. And so they go to a college town and they're living in this apartment. And Marin got a book, like, is working at a bookstore. In the movie, they actually eat a college, well, Lee eats this bitchy college girl who's moving in and gives them a ride to her college. And, um, <laughs> it's, I think it's in Wisconsin, not Michigan. And they kind of like are living in her dorm. And Marin just goes to the school library with her card and she just loves to read. And she starts like stacking books and gets a job that way. But similar things happen. Sully shows the fuck up. I don't think Kayla is as important or even maybe a character in the book. Because Kayla was not mentioned at the end of the novel. The way she is at the end of the movie. Yeah. But like, you know, they're they're like living in an apartment. Lee's talking to Kayla. He's like, yeah, we're living in Arbor, Michigan. Like, she's got a job. And presumably they haven't eaten anybody. And they're just trying to not eat people and trying to be people. Yeah. And it seems to be working. Until Sully shows up. Mm. Which we thought he was gone. And he wasn't. He's weirdly in shorts and a, sh- and a button up. That was weird to me. And has like a baseball hat instead of his creepy feather hat. But he's still got his creepy bag full of creepy hair braid. And um, he's, like, either threatening, like, Marin, like, either you come be with me or I'm going to kill you. And Lee comes home and s- tries to suffocate him, but he stabs Lee. And they are able to subdue him and kill him. It's a brutal, brutal and death scene. Brutal. It's pretty brutal. She rips out his intestines. Yeah, they stab. There's, um, like, a tracking shot because she stabs him multiple times. And as they're dragging him to the bathroom tub, it's like the camera is like an eagle eye just following that. they dragging his body yeah. while he's suffocating. And, I mean, like, you know, it's not saying that he doesn't deserve it. Like, because, like, he he was going to kill Marin and it was pretty much self-defense. But it is is a brutal, yeah. brutal kill in a movie. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, Marin realizes a couple of things mm. after Sully is dead. One, she sees the braids, and it looks like Kayla's hair is in it. Oh, God. Two, Leah's been stabbed through the lungs. And she's like, hey, let's go to the hospital, but we can't get an ambulance because obviously the place looks crazy. Um, and then he sees the braid, and he's like, oh, my God, I got Kayla. And then he kind of begs her to eat him, which is not what happens in the book. But I kind I I both love, I didn't, I had a hard time watching this because not only is like the, the killing of Sully brutal, even though I don't like Sully and I think he does deserve that fate as a character. I didn't like the fact that she was going to have to eat the one person that understood her. Yeah. And that really made me upset. And I really, I was like, oh, don't eat him. Don't eat him. In the book... Sully gets killed by Lee, and Lee eats Sully. And then Marin's, they have never slept in the same bed together. And he comes into the bed with her and he says, Hey, is this okay? And she's like, Yeah. And then he's like, I think I knew this from the day I met you that this was going to happen. And she's like, What was going to happen? He's like, This. And he gives her some whiskey to drink. And then she falls asleep and she wakes up and Lee is gone. Mm. And she tastes the metallic in her mouth. And she either drunkenly ate him or ate him in her sleep. I don't know. But he's gone completely. And she's eaten him. And he does say earlier in the book, not when he's dying, like, someone needs to eat me all up because, you know, after he kills the college girl because he just feels like a terrible person. So he does technically ask for it, but it's in a different way. Yeah. And 
then the book continues on and she goes a long time without eating anybody but there's this guy at the library who she tells him she has a boyfriend because it's right after lee dies and then he's he just keeps pursuing her and finally like he corners her in a corner of the library and starts sticking his hand down his pants and then she asks him what the dewey decimal system number for cannibalism is and then it's implied that she eats him and it's kind of like the last of her humanity died with lee yeah because she didn't used to like hunt like that before which is great symbolically great fantastic but i I kind of like the ending of the movie better, but I had a really hard time watching it because yeah. I, I didn't like the idea of her eating him. It just seemed really sad. Also, it's so cleaned up that I'm like, do you think she ate him bones and all? Yeah, I think, I think that's what they're yeah like, implying. I think so too because that's the thing. Because like earlier in the movie, there was like there's before bones and all and after bones and all, and then the movie ends with that shot you're talking about of them on the hill. You can see in the distance they're topless, mm-hmm. but it's like yeah, <laughs> Scott and I were like. Wait, did she eat him? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's from... He he hadn't seen the whole movie. He had come in the middle after that part. And he was like, wait... I was like, oh, no, that was an earlier scene. He was like, oh, okay. But I was like, I was like, no, it's just I a think, flashback. I think it's the symbolism of, like, she ate him bones and also now he's always with her. He's always a part of her. And that's why it ends on, like, that Which scene. Which is more romantic. It, yeah, it's like, that's why Luca is like, yeah, this is the love story, right? Like, you know, like, he's always a part of her. Like, literally, he's yeah. in her system at this point. Well, also, there was a huge age difference in the book. And I think it was better for them not to have a physical relationship. I think it makes more sense in the movie because they are closer in age. They're both, like, 18 to 19. They're both legal. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think. And also... <laughs> Luca Guadagino's already done a movie about an age-inappropriate romance with Timothée Chalamet, and I think that yeah. was the one thing people gave flack for with that movie was like, yeah, well, that's inappropriate, which Elio, I agree. Yeah, they're 17 and 24, and that's something even with me yeah. that I'm like, if he had just been 18, even if he was 18 and it was 18 and 24, that would have been easier and more palatable than him being 17, but they're but like... then it wouldn't have been sexy. I'm just kidding, no, it would be. But it's like, this is the 80s, right? And it's in Europe, so... Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it I I don't know. I was just kind of like I don't know how to feel at the end of this movie. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like the ending, but I appreciated the ending. If that makes sense. Yeah. It was. It didn't ruin the movie for me, but it made me very sad. But it's supposed to make you sad. So I was kind of like, okay. But I mean, that's probably like thematically it works. Again, that's probably like the worst part about the movie, and it's not even bad. Like, a bad way to watch it. It's just... Yeah, it was weird. For sure. Yeah. It was a different one. (laughs) But there's a lot of, like, really good stuff. I think we already talked about mostly everything else that I had written down. Like, it is absolutely gorgeous to look at. And the acting's superb. The score's good. And... Yeah, the score is beautiful. It's and like they play that really pretty song at the end, and it's great. And yeah, there's a lot of great parts about it, but it's not a happy ending. But I don't know how we how I would have ever expected a cannibal 
romance to be happy. Yeah, it's like, mm, I don't know. I, I don't know if we were like expecting, I feel like a Bonnie and Clyde type thing would have been like too cliche. So they couldn't have gone in that direction. But yeah, you're like, uh, it's it's going to be a tragedy. It's just a matter, it's a matter of how we're going to get to that tragic or element. how tragic? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how tragic is it going to be? Oh, oh, like that. Okay. Oh, she literally, they ate, literally, okay. All in all, an interesting film. I I would recommend it. Like, the gore is extreme, but if you could get through Raw, there's more of it in here, but I think you'd be fine. Like, it's not worse than Raw. Yeah, I would would recommend it. It is worse than Raw, but not... Worse, worse. I don't know if that means. I would recommend it, but I would have to know my audience, you know? Like, I don't think I could recommend it to just anybody. Just because it is kind of, like, slow moving. It's beautiful, but it is a slower film. And that's the thing. It's, like, it's genre blending, right? Like, it's slow. It's a road trip movie. It's romance. It's horror. But on that note... Did you have a rating? I did. So, I had... You know, I really wavered between a 7.5, I can hear Ryan screaming in the distance, and an 8. Like, I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards the 8. Like, maybe like a 7.8, It's really, really good. I love... I love, like, how rich the subtext and, like, the, the metaphors are. The acting's good. The score's good. Yeah. I just... I don't really know if overall it's a movie I would return to again and again. I do like it. I just don't think it's a movie that I would be like, let me return to like this comfort film of mine. Like, right? <laughs> like, it's not, it's yeah. not like that. I don't know. It wouldn't be a comfort film for sure. Yeah. But it was good. I enjoyed it for what it was and I enjoyed watching it. It kept my interest. Yeah. I, I gave it an eight. I think it's gorgeously made. I think it's, it, it has to be put in the horror genre because the gore is so extreme, but it really thematically is more of a drama and a romance. And I just, I love the fact that, like, it doesn't specifically say this is a metaphor for addiction or this is a metaphor for being outed, um, your sexuality being outed, or even, like, familial trauma and hereditary trauma. Like, but it can be all of those things or just a couple of those things, or you can take it at face value. But I appreciate a movie like this and like Raw that can take something that I find despicable and make me empathetic towards the people committing it and understanding that to a point it's in their nature and they can't help it. And hope, but because they're characters that do want help, but can't figure out how to get it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's what's empathetic. And it is like, that's why it's a really good metaphor for like addiction or like any kind of mental health struggle because you can't change the hand you were dealt. And in that time and place, I don't know if you could have really fixed that much. Yeah. Did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating? I did. I rated it C for cannibals, carnivals, and cassette tapes. Oh, that's cute. So I had a phrase this time, which I haven't done in a while, but mine was rated D for disgustingly beautiful dining companions. Oh, okay. Rated D. Okay. I like it. I like it. I think it's time for next week's, which two weeks from now's movie, which will be our last episode before Spooptober, I think, if I am getting my uh, schedule incorrect. I wanted to choose something special. Like fallish and like leading into Halloween, but not 
maybe something we would choose for Spooktober. And there's this movie. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. It kind of fell under the radar because, unfortunately, it was released on the Barbenheimer weekend, apparently, or, like, around that same time, which everyone was going to that. It's got, like, a like a mid-rating. Hmm. And I don't want to, like, spoil anything, but I was pleasantly surprised when I rented this this week. And so it has Lizzie Kaplan. Most recently, she's been in the Fatal Attraction remake. And then uh, Anthony Starr, who's uh, home- Homelander? Yes, he is Homelander. Homelander. In the boys, sorry, I was like, I was like, is that the name? That's a stupid name. And Cleopatra Coleman's in it from Infinity Pool, and so a lot of familiar faces. And so I watched it, and I don't want to give too much away, but it's kind of like fairy tale esque. It gives me kind of the same vibes of like Trick or Treat or even like Coraline, although it's not animated, where it's like a little, it's from a little kid's perspective. Anyways, it's called Cobweb, and it was directed by Samuel Bowden, and it surprised me. And so I thought it would be a really fun little one to watch. It is only available at this moment as of September 5th to stream, um, to rent. So it's only on VOD right now, but it's only like seven bucks. So forgive me, but I think it's a really cute little Halloween movie. And I think it'll lead into Spooptober well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Anyways, I think that one will be fun. And it'll kind of usher us into spooky season. Yay. And with that, thanks for listening. We love y'all. We'll we'll see you for sidetracks next week. And then and then cobweb after that. And watch Bones and All on Amazon Prime right now. And be careful, be safe. Um, good news is the new COVID variant apparently isn't that bad, even though it mutated a lot. It's actually not at least according to NPR today when I drove home, it's not as threatening as we thought, which is good. Um, but, you know, still wash your hands. If you are immunocompromised, um, highly suggest masking up. And if you know you got exposed, mask up around people so you don't, you know, spread that to someone who might actually be hurt by this. Oh, and also watch out for fucking hurricanes because it's hurricane season. And I know I am going to the beach in a little bit. For a little trip, I believe I'm supposed to be going to the beach. And I, I know I keep looking at the weather. I'm like, will I be able to go to the beach? I don't know. But just be careful. Be weather alert. Because I, if you live in the southeast, hurricanes affect you even if you're not on the coast. Because the weather will just get absolutely batshit crazy all of a sudden um, when they come inland. It won't be as bad as being on the coast. But it it's not fun. But just be careful and be safe. And... Yeah, we love y'all. Thank you for listening. Yeah, I'll keep mine a a little bit shorter, but we love y'all very much. Uh, Spade and neuter your pets. Uh, Take care of yourselves and each other. And we just look forward to seeing you next time. Same spoopy time, same spoopy channel. Stay Stay spoopy, spoopy y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.